Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the third episode of our series, and we're using the Tan edition of the Confessions. Today we explore Book 1, chapters 6 through 20, St. Augustine's thoughts and recollections concerning his childhood. Let's begin with one of his prayers. Let me know you, O Lord, who know me. Let me know you, even as I am known. Amen. In the previous chapter, the saint focused on the way God's grace goes ahead of us from the earliest stages of our spiritual journey to make that journey possible. Now Augustine's musings address the way that divine grace goes ahead of us from the earliest stages of our bodily life as well, making that life possible even when we ourselves are incapable of doing anything to survive and thrive. In every regard, God's grace goes before us and makes a way for us. I do not know, says the saint, from what place I came. Our life in this world begins in mystery. We don't exist anywhere in creation before we are conceived. Although, as Augustine will suggest in other places, we could say that we existed as an idea, an intention, a plan in God's mind. And into what condition are we born? A dying life, he says wistfully, or a living death. It may seem morbid for the author to speak of death so quickly when referring to birth, Yet it's been rightly said that in one sense, from the moment we are born, we begin to die. That process which ultimately leads to the grave has begun. And since we are born in original sin, an important subject in Augustine's theological writings, death is a reality to be recognized all along the path. Reflection on our mortality in Latin memento mori has long been considered a spiritually healthy habit. And all you do, remember the end of your life, the book of Sirach reminds us, and then you will never sin. Once he was born into this world, Augustine says to God, the comforts of your mercy took me up as I have heard from the parents of my flesh, from whom and in whom you formed me in the course of time. The Lord created him through the agency of his parents. They were instruments of divine grace. He asked a few paragraphs later, Whence could such a living soul come, O Lord, but from you? Can any man be his own craftsman to shape himself? Whence could any stream of being and life flow into us apart from you who made us, Lord? Life itself is a gift of God's grace. We don't earn it or deserve it. Even so, he notes, I myself have no memory of it. Augustine will repeat several times the important fact that he's telling us only what his parents told him about his infancy 
He obviously doesn't remember it. Our contemporary secular culture often scoffs at the notion that Christians take on the authority of others so much of what we believe. What they fail to realize is just how much of what they know, or think they know, comes from various sources of authority, explicitly or implicitly. Augustine reminds us, for example, that even the very foundations of our identity come to us on the authority of others. Our parents and others who knew us in the years when we were too young to understand and remember. The saint continues his reminders that everything he had as an infant and everything we had as well at that stage was a gift. He says, the comfort of human milk came to me, though neither my mother nor my nurses filled their breasts. It was you who by their means gave me the nourishment my infancy required according to the natural law you have established and the riches you have shed upon even the least of your creatures. God is the one who made their bodies capable of producing milk for the baby. And you gave me the desire to want no more than what you gave, he says. That is, when his belly was full, he had a natural sense of satisfaction, a sense that, lamentably, in later life will become disordered. And to those who nourished me, he says, you gave the desire to give me what you gave to them, for they were willing to give to me by well-ordered affection what they had from you in abundance. Not only did God give them the breast milk, he gave them the desire to nurse him, and that natural desire was in itself something good for them. It was well-ordered. It was right for them to have a desire to nourish the little child and to feel a satisfaction in doing so. In one sense, a mother's milk is the sweetest, most natural form of charity. For it was good for them, he goes on, that my goods should come from them, though really it was only by their means, as indeed all good things come from you, O God, and from you comes all my health. From the very beginning, all life is grace. Can you begin to see why St. Augustine is traditionally called the doctor of grace. The babe in arms, of course, was oblivious to that grace. For at that time, the saint insists, I knew how to suck at the breast and to rest content with what pleased me and to cry whenever something hurt my flesh. That was all I knew. As we shall see, such a failure to acknowledge God's grace continued long after his infancy. And even its adult readers need a constant reminder that all we are and all we have comes from God. Augustine now offers observations about the growing baby who can't yet express himself in words and who only slowly develops speech. They reflect his lifelong interest in the theory of language. He was especially attentive to the nature of signs and the things they point to with regard to God's communication to humanity through scripture and the history of salvation. Such a theory of language had to begin with practical observation of how children learn to speak. But his close examination of children and the reports of his parents and nurses revealed another dimension of the human condition, our fallenness. Though we might be too young to sin in a fully culpable way before we reach the age of reason, Augustine could see that we are in fact born disordered we soon manifest a will to dominate others, to insist that they bend to our desires. And when they don't, we feel outrage 
and jealousy. I thrashed about and I spluttered, he admitted, and made signs that somehow were like what I wanted, only a few and only such as I could make. And when the people did not obey me, either because they could not understand me or what I wanted would hurt me, I would grow indignant with my elders because they were not my underlings and with freeborn children because they were not my slaves. And I avenged myself against them by wailing. And this is the way all speechless babies are. Jumping ahead a moment to chapter 7, the saint elaborates on the selfish, even violent disposition of infants. Baby Augustine would lash out and try to hurt those who were not obeying the nod of his godlike will. His conclusion, it is not the will of the infant that is harmless, but the weakness of his little limbs. The infant doesn't lack the will to hurt others, only the strength. I myself, he recalled, have seen and observed a little baby rife with jealousy. He could not yet speak, but he went pale and cast a bitter glare at the child nursing at the breast beside him. Oh my, the wretched human condition. Even so, scattered between these descents into human failings, Augustine rises again to turn toward God and praise him for his grace and wisdom, and above all, his unchanging nature in his eternal now. For you are the highest, he prays, and you do not change. And because your years never fail, your years are this present day. And no matter how many are our days and the days of our fathers, through this present day of yours, they all pass. And thence do they receive their manner of being, and that they have being at all. And then other days come, and likewise pass away. But you, Lord, are the self-same, and all the tomorrows and beyond, and all the yesterdays and before, you are creating today. You have created today. Amen. God be praised. Augustine concludes his vivid portrait of infancy with a prayer that will resonate with any parent who's ever watched a baby sleeping and marveled at the loveliness of the sight. You, O Lord, who have given life to the speechless baby and a body furnished with senses, fitted with members and shaped in beauty, and for his integrity and safety have instilled in him all the powers of living being. You command me to praise you for them and to sing psalms to your name, O Most High. For you are a God almighty and good, even if you had made these things and no more, which none other than you could have made. You most beautiful, who lend form to all things and set them in order by your law. In the remaining chapters of Book One, Augustine reviews his boyhood when schooling was his primary concern. Those were not happy days. Chapter 9 opens with an anguished cry. Oh God, my God, what miseries and mockeries did I suffer in that age? For then it was put to me, when I was just a boy, that to live a good life meant to obey those who urged me to flourish in this world and to excel in the arts of the tongue, arts that go slaving after false riches and honor among men. And so I was sent to school to learn my letters and poor lad that I was, I did not know what use there was to it. Yet if I was sluggish in learning, I got beaten. 
The adults praised this form of discipline, and so did many people who led this life before us. And it was they who paved the way for these troublesome roads we had to travel, multiplying labor and sorrow for the sons of Adam. Can't you just picture young Gus standing before his parents on a school morning, citing all the reasons why classwork was unnecessary and boring to his brilliant little mind, doing his eloquent best to persuade them to let him play hooky. Apparently, that didn't work. His mother, Monica, was a Christian and had taught him to pray. Comparing his torments to the excruciating sufferings of the Christian martyrs, he earnestly begged God to deliver him, implored him not to let the teacher beat him. That didn't work either. Finally, Augustine comes clean. He admits, it was not, Lord, that we were lacking in memory or in native intelligence. We love to play games. Despite it all, I did sin, O Lord my God, by acting against the commands of my parents and those schoolmasters. For I could have gone on to put those lessons to good use, no matter what my people had in mind. I did not heed them, not because I had better things to choose, but because I loved to play, relishing in my sports the pride of victory, and loving to have my ears scratched with stories full of lies, which inflamed them to itch all the more. Those stories were the pagan myths and legends, poetry and theater, that encouraged boys to lewdness, pride, and deception. Of course, it didn't help that the boys' schoolmasters were even more addicted than he was to such habits, so the boys followed their example. Augustine confesses, I told any number of lies, to deceive my tutor, my masters, and my parents, all for the love of play, and for my restless passion to gape at spectacles that meant nothing, and to imitate what I saw on stage. I even stole from my parents' pantry and table. In my games, I would often cheat to win. So what I would never put up with, but would most bitterly protest if I caught someone else at it, I would do to others. But if I were caught, I would protest I would rather rage than give in. Is that childlike innocence? It is not, O oh Lord. It is not. Even so, Augustine ends this first book with thanksgiving and praise, recounting all that God had given him in his childhood. His example should teach us to do the same. But these were all gifts my God gave me, he confesses. I did not give them to myself. And they were good and altogether they made up myself. Good, therefore, is he who made me, and he himself is my good, and I rejoice before him for all those good things that made my being when I was a boy. Thanks be to you, my sweetness and my honor and my trust. My God, thanks be to you for your gifts. Amen, and God bless you. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.